couple of weeks ago, um, well, as I was finishing up the series on Colossians, trying to figure out where I'm going, um, and I know I'm going to do some uh, scriptures uh, related to my trip in Israel as I kind of walk through the summer, but I'm not quite ready for that yet. And so I was just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do this Sunday? And uh, this verse uh, came to mind, and uh, these verses from Philippians, and I, I just believe that God wants me to share on that today uh, to John and to all of us, um, uh, speaking to um, all of us as we um, face whatever it is we are looking ahead at. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned the secret. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I want to talk to you about three D's of I. The danger of I. And then I want to talk to you about the duty of I. And then about the dynamite of I. If you look at this text, it is one of those rare passages in Scripture where every verse starts with the letter or the, the word I. Every single one of them. That's pretty rare in Scripture, actually, to even find a lot of verses that start with I. But in this passage, every verse starts with I. Now, there are many times, many of our prayers, that, you know, we, there's a lot of I in them. There's a lot of times when um, there are sentences that begin with I a lot. If you write a letter to someone, you probably start out with, well, I did this and I did that. And there are some conversations with some people that um, if you were to eliminate the word I from, you would just kill the conversation instantly. <laughs> they wouldn't have anything to talk about if it wasn't about them. <laughs> so, but part of the reason that you don't see I very much in the scripture is that you find them talking instead about we. Last week as we concluded Colossians and we looked at that last chapter of Colossians, you see Paul spending a, almost a fourth of the book just talking to us about all the different people that were part of his missionary team. And... You know, how he wanted them to send greetings to them or what this person did for him or how this person was loyal to him and this and that. And he talked about his team. You go to Romans and Romans chapter 16 and, and you get through this great doctrinal book and you get to the last chapter and you expect some great, great conclusion to Romans. And the whole chapter is all about Paul listing all these people that are so important to him. They are part of his team. And like I told you last week, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have been known to us today if it wasn't for all the people that were part of his team. So 
a lot of the reason you and I don't see a lot of eyes in the scripture is because a lot of them are replaced by we's. But there's a bigger reason, and that is that the Bible warns us again and again about the dangers of I. The danger of an I-centered life, the danger of a me-centered life. And as a Becca Bible Doctrines class taught, um, the nature of sin is pride, and both of them have an I at the center. <laughs> The nature of sin is pride, and both of them have an eye at the center. Adrian Rogers used to say, the grace of God exalts a man without inflating him. It's a great line. I want to say to you that the danger of I is this. It is impossible to practice Christianity and be full of ourselves. Christianity is about being full of Jesus. You cannot practice Christianity and think you are the center of the universe. Christianity calls us to sacrifice. It calls us to serve. It calls us to die. People who are full of themselves cannot do any of those three things. So that's the danger of I. But Paul knows about the duty of I. On the other side of that coin is this fact that Jesus did not come to earth to die on a cross to save us so that we could mope around thinking and talking about how humble and useless we are. <laughs> I want to say that again. Jesus did not come and die on a cross so that we could mope around thinking and talking about how humble and useless we are in the world. Jesus died on a cross to change us and to use us. And the best thing you can do is trust your life to Jesus and see what he does with it. That is the heir of the spies that Moses sent in to check out Canaan. There were 12 of them. But 10 of them went in there moping. They went in there thinking and they looked around and they saw all the, the landscape and the beautiful, you know, fertile land and they saw the trees and the crops and all of that and they said, man, this is, man, this would be wonderful. But there's these people in here and they are giants and we think we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to them. And they came back with a negative report that was different from Joshua and Caleb, the other two. They saw the same things. They saw the land. They saw the crops. They saw the fertileness of the land. They also saw the giants in the land. 
But they didn't come back with a negative report because they factored in God into the equation. There are a lot of times in our life when we see reality, and it's a good thing to see reality, by the way, but then we also have to factor God into the equation. And that is the duty of I. Once, uh, Norman Vincent Peale was over in Hong Kong and he was walking through twisted little streets over there and he came upon a tattoo studio. And in the window were displayed samples of tattoos (laughs) um, that you could have tattooed on your chest or arms and, you know, it could be a flag or a mermaid or whatever, an anchor. Uh, But he saw these little three words that struck him that could be tattooed on somebody's flesh and they were the words, born to lose. Now, I don't know why anyone would tattoo their flesh anyway, but I'm apparently weird in this culture. But, Certainly, why would you tattoo born to lose on your body? And that's exactly what Norman Vincent Peale thought. He said, I entered the shop with astonishment and pointing to those words, asked the Chinese tattoo artist, does anyone really have those words tattooed on their flesh? And the artist said, yes, sometimes. (laughs) Mr. Peale said, but I just can't believe that anybody in their right mind, would do that. The Chinese man tapped his his forehead and in broken English said, before tattoo on body, tattoo in mind. (laughs) Jesus did not save us so that we could sit around and murmur about the one talent he gave us and then go and bury it in the sand. Jesus saved us to do something with our life. And so there is the danger of I of where you and I think that life is all about us and we are the center of the universe. There is also a duty of I, and that is you and I are not to bury ourselves in the sand. We are not to mope around thinking about how humble and useless we are. We are to do something with our lives for the glory of God. I think Tim Keller expresses that idea so well. He says, the fact that Jesus had to die for me humbled me out of my pride. The fact that Jesus was glad to die for me assured me out of my fear. I'm just going to let you absorb that. It's an incredible balancing statement there. So when you get to this text, so when you get to the Apostle Paul, 
you have Paul talking about himself with confidence. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. True humility in Jesus allows us to blossom and grow. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, and he chose us so that we might bear fruit. Now, in a secular point of view, Jim Collins writes in a leadership book about leaders who turn good companies into great companies. And and he said, you know, we tend to think in in the world that the people that do that are like General Patton or like Caesar. But he said the people that really turn good companies into great companies in the world are not like that. They are more like Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln or Socrates. He said they do not have big personalities. They have a blend of two things, personal humility and professional will. Determination and humility. Those two things working together. Steve Covey uh, writes, Humble people can negotiate intensely. They can drive hard bargains. They can express themselves firmly and clearly. And they can do that in intense situations in personal relationships with each other. So here's two things that I want to say from this. First of all, that, that... The danger of I is believing that you and I are the center of the universe and we can do anything by ourselves. The duty of I is being all that we can be in Jesus and doing all that we can do for Jesus. If you have been saved and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, it is your responsibility, it is your duty to be everything you can be that Jesus has wired you to be. And it is your duty to do everything you can to build the kingdom of Christ with the powers, gifts, and talents he has given to you. You cannot get this right apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the dynamite of I. You will never be what God intended you to be. You will never do what God intended you to do apart from knowing your Creator. Apart from knowing Jesus who died on the cross to save you from your sins and to make your life full. The dynamite of I is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that Jesus said something that almost seems to contradict at first glance what Paul said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why I'm telling you, friends, you will never accomplish what you want to accomplish, what God wired you to accomplish in life, apart from knowing him.
Jesus said that we are like I've got I've got some plants out behind the house that I forgot to trim and all of that would improve when I was supposed to <laughs> the early spring. But you know when you go to pruning a plant and you take some of the the branches off it doesn't take them even a day to just completely wilt. And you come back even a couple hours later and they look dead. They start to shrivel up. You pull weeds out of your garden. How long does it take before they don't look very good? Not very long at all. Jesus said that you and I, apart from him, we are like Somebody came and pruned us if we aren't in the vine, in him. The dynamite of I, the power of being who God designed you to be is in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from him, you can do nothing. Now, I'm not saying that you can't build a company and you can't do this and you can't do that out here in our world, but in terms of eternal impact and making a difference for God, you can do nothing apart from knowing Jesus. He is the dynamite of I. So we have these words, Jesus saying, apart from me you can do nothing, and you have Paul saying... I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. King James. Threw that in for Gary. (laughs) And in both of those verses, Christ is the difference. The optimistic words of Paul there is not so that you and I can be superman or superwoman. The context is rather that of trying circumstances. And sometimes for us, that is what we need to be able to say. I can do the circumstances in which I am living in right now. I can do all this through him that strengthens me. Don't take that verse out of context. Look at the whole thing. There Paul is in prison. And if anyone had a passion to get the gospel out to the entire world, it was the Apostle Paul, but his body was in chains in prison. He had this dream, he had this passion, but he was in chains. And there were times he was well fed. There was times he was taken care of. There were times friends brought him everything he needed. And there were other times when he was in need and he was hungry. And Paul said, in all of those situations, I have learned that I can do all of these things. I can be in need. I can be hungry. I can be well fed. I can have plenty. I can deal with all of the circumstances, whatever God lays on my plate, through Him who gives me strength. I want to say to the younger generation, because you're somewhat entitled, you need to learn to be content. One of the greatest 
things you will ever learn in life is how to be content in uncontented circumstances. You're going to spend the rest of your life being bombarded by advertisements that will make you miserable. You won't be able to drive down the road without seeing things, signs that will tell you that you need this and you need that and you got to have this and you got to be well and, and all of these things. And Jesus says, I can deal with all things and I can learn to be content. And we need to be able to develop that, that ability to be content. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in the message. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Paul was declaring that he could make it through anything as long as he stayed close to Jesus who made him and loved him and died for him. And that is the can-do spirit of the Bible. It is an attitude that doesn't allow our circumstances to destroy our faith. And sometimes people of faith use their faith to enable small thinking. And we have to be very careful of that. There's, there's a wonderful story in the later part of the 19th century when the Methodist Church was holding its denominational convention. One leader stood up and shared his vision for both the church and society at large. And he told the ministers and the evangelists how he believed that someday men would fly from one place to the other instead of merely traveling on horseback. But it was a concept a little bit too lofty for many of the members of that audience. And one bishop stood up, one minister, Bishop Wright, and he stood up and angrily protested. He said, heresy. Flight is reserved for the angels. And he went on to elaborate how if God wanted us to fly, we would have been born with wings. He certainly did not envision what the speaker was predicting. And when that bishop got up and finished his protest, he gathered up his two sons, Orville and Wilbur, and he left the auditorium. <laughs> his sons, Orville and Wilbur Wright, several years later, on December 17, 1903, did what their father called impossible. They made four flights on one day. The first one was only 12 seconds long. The last one lasted 59 seconds long, and it took them 852 feet. Before long, they had built the world's first practical airplane, the Flyer 3, and by 1908, the brothers had demonstrated an improved model in um, France that flew 60 miles in two hours of time. Hmm. But they partnered together to accomplish the impossible. Zig Ziglar said, your attitude determines your altitude. <laughs> For those two brothers, the Wright brothers, their attitude that was unlike their father determined how high they went. They would have never flown if they'd have had the attitude of their father. Michelangelo said, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it but it is that our aim is too low and we reach it. George Danzig was a math 
Maddox graduate student at the University of California in Berkeley. He was arriving late to class as usual, and he copied two of the math problems that were up on the blackboard. Assuming that they were the homework assignment, he sat down to work on them and discovered that they were the most difficult problems that his professor had ever assigned to him. And he kept working on them. And night after night, he would work on them, trying to solve one and then the other without any success, but he just kept working away at them. Several days later, he made a breakthrough, and because of that breakthrough, solved both problems, and he took the homework to class. The, the professor said, just lay it there on his desk, and his desk was just cluttered, and he was afraid that if he left it there, it would get lost, but he did it anyway, but he'd worked so hard, he wanted to make sure he got credit for that, that work. Six weeks later, on a Sunday morning, um, he was awakened by the pounding on his door, and he was surprised to see that it was his professor, and the professor was saying, George, George, you solved it. George, somewhat sleepily, said, well, yes, of course. Wasn't I supposed to? <laughs> and the professor explained that those two problems were on the blackboard, not because they were homework, but because they were models of two famous outstanding problems that mathematicians had never been able to solve. And he could hardly believe that George had solved both of them in one week's time. If someone had told George that they were two famous unsolved problems, he would, probably would have never, ever tried to solve the problem. And it goes to show the power sometimes of just digging in our heels and working through things with the right mindset. Zig Ziglar again says, positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. <laughs> positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. So today as we look at this text, three things I want to say to you. Number one, avoid the dangers of I. Avoid pride and arrogance and center of the world thinking, thinking that you are the center of everything. Practice the duty of I. Be everything that Jesus wants you to be. Do everything you can to build his kingdom. But then I want you to find the dynamite of I. The Lord Jesus Christ build such a relationship with him coupled with an attitude that is an appropriate for a believer.